All right. Good evening. I'm your host, Evan George, and welcome to Bostopian Nightly News, and what is still the soft launch of me figuring out exactly what it is I want to do between the hours of 9 p.m. and 10 p.m. that doesn't just consist of me playing video games. And so this show is still going to be a work in progress probably for a while until I can figure out exactly how to stream and produce simultaneously and also what exactly I want it to be. So the best way to support the show, since I have not asked anyone for money, even though I've been doing this TikTok and podcast stuff for a month, no, seven months, who knows, last November, is to go to YouTube and hit subscribe, and if you're on Twitch, to look for me there as well. But I do have some stuff to go over, even though this is still, again, working out the system. And let's start... Sorry, I figure this out. As I figure out what is on the screen, here we go. John Santiago. So there is a pair of endorsements today in the Boston mayoral race, which are going to have, maybe not now, but a lot of this is setting trends and trying to predict how the snowball is going to look like months in advance. Because right now, the only people that are really paying attention are the hyper, hyper, fraction of a percent voters, people that track this stuff like me do, and if you're listening to this podcast or on this live stream in any way that you do. And starting with the funny one first is the endorsement for John Santiago by current House Speaker um, Ron Mariano. And why I said this is the funny one, I'll talk about the, actually the serious stuff first, is that I have alleged, or I predict, that John Santiago would be very difficult to beat in a heads-up matchup for the mayoral race. And the reason I keep saying heads-up is we have the preliminary on September 14th, and then from there, that'll be whittled down the, I don't know how many candidates are there, seven? That'll be whittled down to two. And then, depending on that matchup, we'll determine, obviously, who the winner is. And prelims are always a little bit more conservative, and they have lower vote account, and that's compared to the general municip uh, municip municipal, which in and of itself is already very low uh, count. So if John Santiago, I've always alleged, is able to get out of that prelim, because right now it's not looking good, he is going to be very difficult to be in a heads-up matchup. Now... What makes this story funny? I mean, because, you know, like having the House Speaker endorse you, there's no one who, as an individual voter, is going to say, oh, Ron Mariano supports him. Well, then I do, too. A lot of it has to do with, OK, where does the political power of the state weighing in? And so there you get networks, you get connections, you get fundraising dollars. Then you're able to maybe um, roll up some votes that way. And so if the House Speaker comes out and endorses you, that's a little bit, again, of a leaning of what elements of power are supporting you. And the comical part was, I guess, during this public announcement, Ron uh, said, and I guess it took place in South End, saying that he was afraid he was going to get his car stolen, basically knocking the district that John Santiago represents. And what, of course, is kind of coded 
and racism and poverty and instantly came under condemnation from local Democrats and also people running for mayor. And so Ron Mariano had to roll that back. And so just stepping all over the endorsement. And so now the story is what Ron said and not the endorsement in of itself and why he's supporting John. I mean, I don't even know what I'm reading the article now. And if you're watching on Twitch and YouTube, you can be watching too. It's mostly about his apology, which shows you just how much he tripped over himself. But we'll see. Again, he's going to have a very hard time getting out <clears throat> of the prelims. But between this, between, what is it, Local 223, Marty's Old Union, who knows? Oh, my friend Jonathan Cohn um, was covered. That's nice. Good for John. And the second endorsement comes from a similar candidate, and by that I mean someone else who is in the middle or the conservative lane, and that is Anissa Savi-George, who I've also said it would be very difficult to be in a heads-up matchup for a number of different reasons, but she gets the backing of a lot of white women across Boston, Again, she has conservative leanings. She's already been endorsed by the former police commissioner, William Gross. She also got the endorsement from the Massachusetts Nurses Union. And now she got the endorsement from the Boston Firefighters Union. Why nurses and firefighters? No idea. But a lot of those union endorsements kind of have to do with who you know. And... I don't think they took a vote, the nurses, and I don't think the fire department did either. I can't name you a single issue or policy that Anissa is advocating, which makes her stronger on either unions or the fire department than Andrea or Michelle or Janie. But if, again, Anissa comes out of the prelims and she has on her literature, she's supported by nurses Probably going to get the police union too. And uh, firefighters, that's a, um, that's a good lit. That's a good lit drop, as they say. I'm, I'm just scanning the document now to see if there's any indication of why they're supporting her. No, no, no. Okay. So we'll see where those endorsements land. And in other news for today, there's a lot of stuff going on with the MBTA, but I'm going to get to that after. Let's do a little bit of a funny palate cleanser. Reading now from the Boston Herald, Boston police worry of escalation and violence by dirt bikers after police van vandalize. And so the... A year ago, in July, the big issue in June and July was fireworks. Everyone who lived in Boston was obsessed with fireworks. And thank you to the person on TikTok. That was, people couldn't shut up about it. They had emergency hearings about it. Constant, again, city councils, Facebook groups, people screaming. And it was very obvious why what was happening. And that was that all of the 
big 4th of July public events were canceled because of COVID. So you had a lot of fireworks, I don't know, manufacturers, distributors who just had surplus fireworks. So they did a mailer and had very cheap fireworks because they had to sell them to get rid of them. And so people kept buying them. They went off. You didn't hear a peep after July 4th. Anyway, this year's fireworks is the issue of teenagers who drive around the cities in dirt bikes and ATVs, either on the streets or also Franklin Park. And this is just what city kids do for fun. If I lived in the city when I was growing up, I would 100% try to get uh, a dirt bike. And this is then a big thing about the noise. And again, it's it's very foolish that this is what a $400, $450 million publicly funded agency, the Boston Police Department, is spending all the time worried about. So like they, I don't think it was a sting. I think it was like they've been targeting trying to find these ATVs and dirt bikes. This is what they spend their time on. Their clearance rate for solving murders is under 50%. If you kill someone in Boston, you have statistically a better chance of getting away with it than getting caught. But this is what they spend their time on. And so for anyone who says that you need the police, one, police do not stop crime. That is a complete bullshit, made-up fantasy, but they also don't even solve crimes. This is what they spend their time doing, harassing teenagers and kids, because it's easier. It is much easier to do this. So anyway, after the police captured a bunch of these uh, dirt bikes and ATVs a couple weeks ago, the story goes that they were trying to break up, because what they do is they all meet up, and actually what is a really cool thing if you've ever seen it in Boston. You'll, you'll hear this noise come, and all of a sudden, you'll just see 80 kids all in a packed formation moving together. It's actually really cool. It's a great like social event for the kids. I think it's awesome. And so the cops are went to try to disrupt them, to break them up. And then the, <laughs> the Boston Police Patrolman's Association Twitter account, these people are tapped, says, and now the ATV choir boys are attacking our officers who tell us he suspect riding a dirt bike pulled aside one of our police vehicles and kicked the driver's side mirror after being told to vacate a gas station in Hyde Park. This is what happens when we embolden lawbreakers. So a teenager kicked the side of a cop car and drove away. And the Boston Herald is framing this as Boston police worry about an escalation in violence. Continuing, the officer driving the wagon was not injured. And again, they're kids who are pissed that the one fun thing that they do is being targeted and harassed by police who, again, aren't out there solving crimes. And they're just harassing these kids. I'm going to keep quoting from the uh, BPP, BPPA president, Larry Calderon. And let's not forget that their former head of their police union is a alleged pedophile who, in their own internal investigation, looks like it's substantiated. And they kept him on the force and promoted him and elected him. But anyway, I'm sorry. This, to me, was an escalation of violence, Calderon said of the Sunday incident. 
They're now so emboldened that they are going to attack police cars and maybe the officers themselves. The activity of the loud, wheelie-popping bike enthusiast has increasingly been in public view. Okay, actually, this is a good second part. After several high-profile events that left one man hospitalized with a hand injury and ambulances unable to reach a pregnant woman who had been shot after bikers and ATVs clogged the city road. So they will always, to um, talk about the second part first, whenever there's a protest, whenever people are in the street, whenever you have kids on bikes, they'll say, oh, there was um, an injury somewhere else and that stopped EMS from getting there. Which, you know, they could just go around it. They could do a different route. But one, they will always use that. So you can that is a cookie-cutter argument that they will use again. Anytime it's a public demonstration, anytime there's a protest. You can throw that out. That That's just part of it. They, they, try, they look to see where there's an incident, and then they say, oh, see, that incident? No, we were, we were stopped from doing it, which I call complete BS. Fraction of a second. The kids get out of the way for ambulances. Everyone does. But the second part about somebody being injured and hospitalized, because... One thing you'll hear is, yes, we understand, they're just kids. However, they are riding around recklessly and someone's going to get hurt. Well, I'll tell you what. If you are a teenager riding around on a dirt bike or an ATV and you see those cop lights and the sirens and they start chasing you, you run away. Every study shows that the kids, whenever you do a high-speed pursuit, it just increases the chances of somebody getting hurt. That's it. So if what you're actually concerned about is public safety, these people don't give a shit about the kids, but if you actually care about public safety, the people around them, having the cops target and chase them is the worst thing you could possibly do. Let's focus on the fact that in 50 years from now, every single day in Boston during the summer is going to be over 90 degrees. Let's try to, st let's, let's, let's look at climate change. Let's look at the housing crisis. You had a couple dozen kids on dirt bikes. If that is the extent of your problems, you don't need 460 or $400 million a year to deal with it. But okay, is there? let's talk a little bit about the MBTA and then we're gonna go to the uh, Boston Mayoral Forum. So what's the best way to start this? Yesterday, I believe, oh, let's let this load. No, not that one. No, not that one. Here we go. I have not read this yet, so everyone forgive me. But the MBTA is going to change or going to increase the amount of services. Because as people remembered from a few months ago, even though the MBTA received over a billion dollars from the federal government to help maintain public transportation during the pandemic, they did not use the money for that and instead just pocketed it and decided to cut services. One second. Now that doesn't matter. Oh, okay, sorry, I'm back. Reading now, with ridership creeping up to its highest levels since the pandemic began, the MBTA will boost frequency on its subway system and more than two dozen bus routes next month. Okay. So the new summer schedule taken into effect on the 20th. That's a long way. That's a month away. What are you doing? We'll run the red, orange, and blue lines at close to the same frequency as before they cut. So they're still not even giving us the full frequency. They still are not going back to what they had before the pandemic. And even that sucked. 
I mean, it's good that they're doing something, but they are still maintaining the cuts. That's the point. As part of a much larger deliberate strategy of the people that govern the MBTA to cut the MBTA. And so you make a cut, and then you bring it back 80%. And then maybe a year from now, you cut it again, there's an uproar, all right, we'll bring that back 90%. And you're just trimming at the edges. Because the people that are being put in charge of these agencies do not believe that public transportation is a public good, period. So what is it going to look like here? During peak travel time, riders should expect headways between trains of five minutes. Okay, because right now they're running it closer to 10. Seven minutes on the orange line, down from eight minutes. One minute faster? God, you're killing me. Five minutes down from five and a half. Well, I live on the red line, so it looks like that one's going to be the, the fastest, at least in terms of going back to the cuts. So I'll take it, but come on. Roughly 30 bus routes will also run with the greater frequency starting June 20th. Okay. And if you can read on the screen, I'm looking forward. Right now, I'm testing this out at MBTA. But um, my income tax is going to question mark. Your income taxes are currently frozen as by the city charter, which we are trying to change. So unless you make, right now everyone in Massachusetts gets taxed at the same income rate. It's like, it's frozen. What we are trying to do is change that so that if you bring in over $1 million in a year, every dollar after that $1 million gets taxed at an additional 4%. And something tells me you're not in that bracket. So no, your income taxes are not going up. But okay, schedule is going to um, return, no, not even, 90%, 80%, maybe, uh, June 20th. Now, this is part of a larger conversation, and this is going to lead us nicely into some more stuff from the environmental forum. But Kim Janey announced that starting soon, the Route 28 bus is going to be completely free. And this is part of a larger movement that you're seeing all over the country of pushing and moving towards free public transportation. If people believe that transportation is a public good, what that means, whenever anyone says, or I'm sorry, not just a public good, but a right, whenever people use the phrase a public good, or if they use the word is a right, what that means is regardless of your ability to pay. So if you are ever talking to a politician that says, I believe healthcare is a human right, you then need to challenge them and say, well, that means regardless of my ability to pay, I should get health care. So are you saying health care will be free at the point of service? And if the answer to that is no, then I'm sorry, you do not actually advocate for that as a right or that as a public good. L.A. is currently moving towards an entire public transportation system that is free, which is fantastic. Here in Boston, again, we're making cuts. But uh, there was some good examples during the pandemic with during COVID in Lawrence, they just said free bus services for these routes and it was incredibly successful. And everyone's was like, oh, wow, look at that. If you make something free and you make it reliable, people will use it, which every single person involved in climate change, public policy recognizes the more public transportation you have, the better. 
So Kim Janey announced Route 28 is going to be free. However, without an actual plan to do it. And I guess so this uh, bus service goes from Mattapan Square to Nubian Square. Oh, that's actually pretty close to where I live. So cool. That's great, right? We, we want, um, they should all be free. However, if you're going to start slow, it's part of, okay. Now, what makes this story a little bit funny is the MBTA like instantly kind of came out and said, whoa, whoa, hold on. Like they didn't run that by us. <laughs> like, what is Kim Janey talking about? And so the MBTA said, like, there's no plan for that. So Route 28, if you're hearing this, you still got to pay. But they had a meeting about, again, the same thing. Should they move to a free public transportation system? Should they do what's called a means-tested fares? And liberals are obsessed with this because means-tested basically means, not to, to get too, uh, for, too confusing with the vernacular, that you are going to put a limit, you, depending on your means, depending on your money, depending on your wealth, whatever the, the X is, that'll determine if you do qualify or if you don't. You put a measurement. And it's incredibly damaging to any public policy to have it means-tested. And I'll explain why in just a second, but let's read from here. Two members of the five-member Fiscal Management Control Board, Brian Lang and Monica Tibbetsnut, said they favored moving ahead with a pilot of a means-tested fare next year. And what this would do is provide discounted fares to riders with incomes at 200% the federal poverty level. Top of my head, I'm going to call that close to 30 grand. I'm probably um, maybe a little high with that. So let's just use that number. If somebody wants to Google it for me, you can. So that means that if you make less than 30 grand, you would get a discounted fare. If you make more than 30 grand, you would have to pay the same fare that's currently, I think, 270. So let's already look at two reasons why this is dumb. Even though, again, from the liberal point of view, oh, you're helping the most impacted. Well, first, to then qualify for this, you're going to have to be able to prove that you make as much as you say. And the most vulnerable citizens, the poorest people in our communities, do not easily have a W-2 form available which demonstrates their annual income. So you're already making it so that the people who really are the most affected are not going to be able to prove that they qualify for what a discounted fare, which they might not be able to afford the discounted fare. And the second reason why means-tested programs are dumb is because it says 300% of the federal poverty line. I completely just made up 30 grand. I don't think I'm that far off. Might be, again, a little high. Is that if you make $30,001, you don't qualify and you're going to be pissed. And you're going to say, are you kidding me? It's 25 grand. I'm just going to take what you're saying. Yeah, I, I thought 30 might be a little high. So if 25 grand is uh, double the federal poverty line and you make $25,001, you no longer qualify. And that makes you rip shit. You say, are you kidding me? Because I picked up an extra shift on that day and that person did it. That person now qualifies for the discounted fare and I have to have full pay, uh, pay full price. This is BS. And you see how that narrative then starts twisting why, oh, see, government programs are wrong. They encourage laziness. They encourage 
the weakest people get a free ride. It feeds into all of the narratives which have been used for the last 50 years in this country to take away services, healthcare, whatever social safety net we had. And it just buys into that and makes it even harder to pass programs, which is why any public program that you want to pass, you need to make it universal. Everyone gets it. And then you'll still hear some people saying, like Pete Buttigieg, well, we, we don't want to pay for rich people to have things. Just like, no, I'm sorry. Because one, we're already paying for them not to have to contribute. We already subsidize their living. And two, it's not a bad thing that a millionaire can go to the library. It's not a bad thing that a billionaire's kids can go to a public school if they want to. Those aren't bad things. If anything, having your ruling classes, their um, children interact more with regular people is probably a healthy thing. It might build up some empathy and some compassion and some understanding. But the MBTA is still debating this. They will probably pass some pilot program where, again, a couple hundred people will qualify and it'll, it will make a difference in those people's lives, which is good, but it does not at all mitigate the larger population to anything on scale that needs to be done. So we'll see what the MBTA does. I'm going to take a 10 second break more just because I want to test the system. So if you're on TikTok, you're still going to be able to see me. Um, but the people watching on the stream, I will be right back. I don't know if it's working. No, I don't think it worked. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Oh, forget it. I'm trying to do a transition and I still have not been able to do it. Failed again. All right, you're all going to have to watch me do it live. Unbelievable. Why I can't do this. Unbelievable. Bum, 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 bum. I'm going to do it again. <sighs> so frustrating. I gotta... See, that's the thing is I don't even know how to practice it because I still have to be live when I do it. But all right, this, this looks right. I'm back. Thank you for the, the, the TikTok people who stayed with me during the entire thing. 
sure that was entertaining. So we're going to continue now with some stuff from the Boston Mayoral Forum. And we're going to start off with a question about the Seaport District, which is one of my favorite things to hear local politicians talk about. So let's see how they do. What we've had, what we have right now in the city of Boston, where we've said we have two people who've said 70% of our emissions come from the, um, what we currently have in stock. We need to we're gonna listen to John Santiago for a little bit more. Incentivizing um, folks to do just that with a fund. And when it comes to transportation, I will electrify the city's fleet. I will um, support the expansion of electric uh, vehicles, and I want to expand public transit um, options across the city of Boston. I don't own a car, David. You know, I take public transportation. You know, I walk, I take a bike. You know, I talk the talk, and I'm going to walk the walk as the mayor of Boston. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, John. For everyone, over the past few decades, the city has spent billions of dollars building up this seaport without building codes that would ensure the new glass towers and other infrastructure could withstand the massive flooding that sea, rise, that sea rise and strengthening storms are likely to bring in the coming years. Was it a mistake for the city to spend so much money building up a neighborhood on landfill and at sea level? If so, what went wrong and who do you blame? And do you have any larger concerns about how development there is still proceeding? This time we're gonna go in reverse alphabetical order. So Councilor- Okay, I'm gonna let them answer in a, in a second. But the question, a, a little long-winded, does actually get to an important part, which is, how did this happen? Do you support it? And if you're not to blame as our local officials, then who is? Now, I, I, I flew through this like three times speed. I don't think anyone gives a good answer. But let's see. For Wu, please start. Thank you. The seaport is one of the starkest examples of what's wrong with our development system overall. We have a parcel by parcel approach where individual buildings are granted exceptions to a long outdated zoning code without clear baselines for not just climate resiliency, but affordability, transportation access, and how all the things that our residents need fit together in their day-to-day -day lives. In the seaport, we see that not only was a tremendous amount invested publicly, it doesn't feel like the waterfront access that our residents deserve. Not one black homeowner got a mortgage there with all of the new luxury residential development. Not too long ago, the private sector was talking about investing more than $100 million to build a gondola system for those who could afford tickets to fly out of the traffic because our transportation planning has fallen so far. All right, I, I had to interrupt. Look up the gondola system that people wanted to do. So, and if you're joining me, if you're joining me on TikTok, switch over to YouTube or Twitch because then you can see the whole thing. Or Facebook, same name. But this is um, in a forum on energy and environment, and I'm, I'm blanking on the host agency, so forgive me. But they wanted to build a gondola, like like when you're on ski, you know, going skiing, from the seaport to downtown, just to like go over the the traffic like this is it's a pet project of this multi uh millionaire forever and everyone is just like are you kidding me but th that was the solution the rich wanted to do it's just a private gondola for the wealthy that they can just go like rooftop to rooftop of their favorite bars and never have to interact with the people anyway sorry michelle but it's funny short of being integrated 
we need an economic development plan that is closely tied with our housing plan, our transportation and climate plan, and all of that has to have a baseline of affordability for our residents. I mis- you, Michelle's was good. I really wish she named the Great. BPD. Uh, so. right. the, the I really wish she named them. Right? And we need to move forward. And as the next mayor of Boston, I look forward to, to making sure that any new development in the Boston really takes into account climate change, right? Because climate change is the existential threat. To also, John Santiago, horrible on tenant protections, voted against um, allowing cities to vote for rent control. So him on housing is laughable. But those of our future residents in the city of Boston. And we need a, uh, a mayor who understands that, who understands the physical consequences of climate change, right? And I will act with urgency with respect to climate resiliency, because that's what we're talking about at the seaport with respect to its it's proximity to the shoreline, right? And we need to uh, have a mayor who's going to mitigate okay. those irreversible effects. Let's see how Kim answers this. Mayor Janey. Thank you so much. When it comes to uh, the seaport, so many things uh, went wrong, and I'm not sure that it is helpful to, to point fingers of blame now, but uh, we can look at just the creation of a new neighborhood uh, that did not have equity in mind when it was created. And, and just to... Stop, Kim Janey there. This goes to all of them. But listen how passive the voice is of, oh, like, it was a mistake. Mistakes were made. These are our elected officials that are basically saying, oh, like an entire new neighborhood of Boston was built under our watch. Yeah, you know, that was a mistake. Um, Whose fault was it? You know, I don't think now is the time to point fingers. Um, But yeah, that was horrible. And then what happened... What was it last year or two years ago? The Suffolk Downs development, another whole neighborhood of the of Boston, now owned by some thirty-something Texas billionaire. And again, same thing. We're gonna hear, oh, what happened to Suffolk Sounds? You know, it was horrible. Yeah, it was bad. You know, we should have done better. Equity was not in mind. But just like how passive it is that these are our representatives and they're all acting like, hey, like who knows? You know, it's so complicated. It's so complicated development in Boston, but you know, we, we can't even go into um, who to blame. In terms of who built it, in terms of who lives there now, in terms of the businesses that are there. Um, and uh, we do have an opportunity moving forward when it comes to our waterfront. Boston is a coastal city. It's a great world-class city. Uh, and we have to do much more to protect uh, access to the water. We have to make sure that there is- I'm right, gonna jump to Anissa. Okay, we'll delve a little more deeply into some of those questions. Councillor Sabi George. Thank you. I think he hears my name coming and he he knows it's up. You know, I think we've learned a great deal from what's happened at the seaport, and those lessons learned have to be applied as we're thinking about development across the rest of our city. Which, again, it wasn't learned. We literally did the seaport, um, sorry, Suffolk Downs. Years later. We must carry out a thoughtful and inclusive planning process that prioritize climate resiliency. And when we think about sea level rise, we tend to think just about building concrete infrastructure, but we have to be more thoughtful in how we elevate our city by building parks and playgrounds. Also, Anissa, horrible on development. Very thoughtful and creative, and very intentional in the way that we do this. Right now, we have too much that is impermeable, and there is no place for the water to go. And we know that that impacts- All right, gonna jump to Andrea, and then we do one more segment on this the waterfront, there are a whole host of examples where the city has gotten it terribly wrong. And the city needs to take responsibility and ownership. I believe in accountability. And when you look at 
with respect to these neighborhoods and flooding and development projects. You see organizations, for example, like the Children's Museum or Residents or the Aquarium or Boston Harbor Now out there on their own planning uh, and, and developing resilience and resiliency strategies, having fundraising campaigns to come up with the money. That's all ridiculous. The city of Boston needs to take the lead. And when we talk about responding to issues of climate and resiliency, of course, it's looking at development, it's making sure our code is updated, that we are clear in, with respect to what we will allow to be built and what we will allow not to be built to create predictability, predictability and consistency. But the second piece that is critically important is making sure that as we are doing this building, as we are responding with creative ideas on dealing with climate, that we're also making sure our city is accessible. I live in Mattapan, and yet for many, the seaport, the waterfront feel like far away and not a part of their city. Accessibility, connectivity, critically important. All right. Chief Barris. No, like we, we don't need to listen to Barris. I, I don't know why he's running. Um, but all right, we're at about 40 minutes. I'm going to save, I guess, the second part that I wanted to go through. Um, in this, because actually no, let's let's do the public transportation part of this, and we'll call it. And then I'm going to try to do one more thing. If people on Twitch want to stick around and help me, we're going to need to entirely retrofit the city's homes and buildings to remove fossil fuels. An undertaking I've heard compared to the introduction of indoor plumbing. What will you do to accelerate that okay. conversion and ensure that costs are not going right, to on, for city residents? Ahead. And when do you expect that to be complete? They're all just on top of green buildings. Uh, yes, absolutely. We can't call ourselves a leader in this if we're not moving forward. And we have a lot of work. Mayor Janey. Yes, uh, as an avid gardener, absolutely. And as mayor, I've uh, not composting, but in terms of recycling, just launched a new initiative where a new recycle bin. All right, hold on. We gotta we gotta see if this is plastic right. Plastic that has been. Uh, gotten out of our oceans and so really proud of that work as well. Representative Santiago. Right. New initiative where new recycle bins are made of plastic that has been uh, gotten out Reverse order now. Do you support making the tea free there we go. to all low-income residents in Boston? Councilor Will. Okay. The question is very simple, very direct. Do you support making the tea free for residents of Boston? Let's see how they answer this. Yes, absolutely, yes. Uh, this is a public good. This is a social justice, economic justice, racial justice issue. Let's start with buses, go from there. We can make it happen. Awesome. And also, Michelle did like, uh, I got to think about it things. Everyone knows she's the only candidate that fully supports it. That was great. Santiago. I definitely support targeted investments in our low-income communities. I've been fighting for that for a long time. And, and as someone who takes the bus myself and who, who helps save Bus 43 in the city of Boston, I'm committed to making sure that low-income communities have access to the tea. So again, John Santiago completely avoids the question. He instead pivots to, well, poor, um, poor people in the area. Some, some people in some places should be able to use it for free. So, trying to phrase it as if he's agreeing with the premise of the question, which is, should public transportation be free? But of course, he doesn't answer that honestly or directly. Mayor Jamie. Yes, I don't own a car. I still take the tea as mayor of Boston. I was just on the tea Friday. Um, and I am delivering a free bus now as mayor, uh, connecting a major economic corridor from Mattapan Square to Grove Hall to Newbean Square. 
I'm launching that now as mayor of Boston. Okay. You know what? I'm, I'm going to give Kim Janney points for this because as acting mayor right now, she has actually done a pilot program of giving, I don't know, a couple hundred people free tea passes, as I mentioned in the first segment, trying to increase the, I think it was uh, bus 28, making that free. So she's moving that in that direction. She gets points too, for answering the question honestly. Uh, Councilor Osama George. I think it's really important that the tea and public transit as a public good remain good, and we need to continue to make investments in public transportation. So although I support the concept and the idea of a free tea, we need to do it in a very limited and focused way, and then have discussions around proper investment to roll it out further. Supports the concept, and then instantly goes into limits, and then finally ends it with further discussions. Absolutely watered down, horrible answer. She does not support making the MBTA free. Councilor Campbell? I'd like to, to make commitments as an elected that I know I can keep because it's a way to build trust with residents. So I committed to my transportation plan and my environmental plan to make buses free in the city of Boston all routes, all buses. This is the equity issue that we could do in the city of Boston and make happen with the T and new investments. So I also don't like Andrea's answer to that because while yes, like she is answering honestly in terms of her policy, which is not universal MBTA, commuter rail, T, buses, free transportation, her policy very specifically is buses, so she didn't give a watered-down answer like Anissa or John. However, she instantly frames it, the beginning of it, basically saying that, well, the people who want to make it free, basically talking about Michelle and uh, Kim Janey, they're not being honest with you. They're promising too much. And this is very reminiscent of, we'll say, some of the more centrist cam candidates in the Democratic primary saying, well, Bernie's not being honest with you because we can't do this. Instantly starting with what you can't do and then hedging going to something limited, which I'm sorry. If now is the time for bold, strong action, we do not have time for, oh, those people who want to promise you things like free public transportation, they're lying to you. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to give you less. I'm sorry. Now is not the time for that. But let's, let's leave that segment there. If I will go through the rest of it, maybe, and see if there's anything else that's worthwhile to go into for the this new... Bostopia nightly news thing I'm going to do. And now, for fun, I'm going to stick around and answer questions on the TikTok. However, I'm also going to try to live stream a video game, mostly because I want to see if this can do 1080p at 60 frames per second. So people listening on the podcast, I am going to stop here. Again, please like and follow, subscribe to the show on YouTube, on Twitch. Facebook, just, just do it for everything. I'm not asking for money. Just just click subscribe. It's not that hot. <laughs> and uh, people on TikTok, I'm going to answer your question in a second. And everyone else who drops off, you drop off. Take care. <laughs>